This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Are you sick and tired of biased hockey talk? Then you have come to the right place. The Drop focuses on the St. Louis Blues, but we also delve into other news from around the NHL. So tell the ref you don't mind the game misconduct penalty. You were headed to the locker room anyway to listen to The Drop. Here's your host, Lance Descott. Welcome again to another edition of The Drop Podcast. As always, I am your host, Lance Descott. Last night, the Blues took on the Montreal Canadiens. And for the second game in a row, Jordan Bennington started in goal, the rookie who has been in San Antonio for a couple of years now, seven-year minor leaguer. We're going to get into that game. But first, we're going to get to the guest line. And a friend of the show and a friend of mine, Grant Fear, joins us. Grant, thank you so much for coming on the drop. Oh, my pleasure, man. Great, great. Uh, I hope you had a pleasant uh, holiday season. Everything was great. No complaints. Hope yours was well as all. Well, thank you so much. Mine, mine was very nice. Got to spend some time with some family, and uh, you and I have talked about it before. Some family, it's uh, more fun to spend time around them than other members of the family. But hey, it it all evens out and adds a little bit to the spice of your life. That that's is definitely a good way of putting it. Yeah, uh, I I know we're going to go over a lot of topics here, but of course we've got to talk about the Blues first. They started the year out with uh, Coach Mike Yo, and. I was of the belief when they hired him, nothing against the guy because coaching is, is hard in this league. You've, you've got to be able to reach guys in different ways. Some guys are motivated by that quiet coach that sits them down, lets them know, hey, you know, I got confidence in you, but you're doing this. Some things need to change. I'm going to do this with you. Why don't you try this? Other guys need that coach that's going to be on their butt constantly, you know, pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. And I don't think Mike Yo was that type of coach. Um, he was an okay coach in Minnesota, but I've talked to a couple of the guys that uh, played with him or that played for him in Minnesota, and they stated that he wasn't consistent. Uh, some of, he lost the veterans, and I think when you lose veterans, you lose a locker room. Uh, you know, I don't really know Mike Yo, but I mean, I think that's the hardest part of coaching is you have to know all the different personalities in the room. And with your assistance, you have to be able to figure out what makes everybody tick. And I think that's the hardest part of coaching is it's not so much the X's and O's. Everybody knows the X's and O's. Sure. It's the how do I manage the personalities? Because everybody's got different personalities. Your stars have one personality. Your goalies are going to have another. Your grinders are going to have a different personality. So you got to figure out a way that you can get everybody involved and everybody on the same page. Exactly. And, and like I always tell a lot of people that I know, a good coach puts players in the position to succeed based on their skill set. And that's 90% of coaching right there. You have to put people in places where they can succeed. I mean, there's trying to have somebody play a role that they're not going to have success in is just you're setting yourself up for failure. So that's, that's the hardest part of it. And you have to have a good coach has good assistants that understand the players. That's the biggest thing nowadays is you have to understand the players. The old days you could yell and scream at players, but you can't, you can't do that anymore. Now you've got to be able to nurture them a little bit. Some need to be kicked, which you can yell at. The other ones need to be patted on the back. You've got to figure out which is which. Exactly. And as I said, nothing against uh, Mike Yo. I, I know people that know him, and they say he's a very nice guy, very level-headed, down-to-earth. 
just got into a situation in St. Louis where I think that his team stopped playing for him. Uh, and I don't know why that's happened. I think under Hitchcock, towards his end, uh, they stopped playing for him. I think uh, once Mike Yo was brought in, it was a new voice, a new guy in the locker room, even though he was brought in eventually to replace Hitchcock. He was there a little bit sooner. The team responded very good that half season. They had a great playoff against the the Minnesota Wild. Jake Allen was great. And, of course, they lost to the eventual Western uh, Conference uh, representatives for the Stanley Cup, the Nashville Predators, in the second round. But getting back to the goaltending aspect of it, Jake Allen, up until this year, has been an up-and-down goalie. He's had a bad January every year he's been in the league. And from the outside, if you look at his stats, Grant, 2.55 goals against in his career, 9-11 save percentage, not a great save percentage, a little bit less than average. But over the past five years, he's got 122 wins, which isn't bad over five years. The big misnomer that I find is everybody's hung up on average and save percentage. I know as a, when I played as a coach, I want to see goalies make the right save at the right time. And that the end of the, the only statistic that really matters as a goalie is winning. It doesn't, all the other, the other ones look pretty. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you have a great save percentage. You have a great goals against average, but you can have that and lose. And I would rather have a guy that the numbers aren't quite as pretty, but if you know you need a save somewhere down the road, he can give you that save that turns the game around. You can make that save at the end of a game that will give you that win. And it's all about winning and finding a way to win. I mean, you, 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 you can give up a soft goal along the way. Yeah, you can give up a soft goal along the way as long as you can make that save at the right time. And like the other night, he let in two very soft goals against Dallas, and that was the game. And the team only scored one goal, and when your team scores one goal and you allow two soft ones in, you're, you're really letting your team down. Even though the offense wasn't there, if, if, if you don't let in those two soft goals, you've got a one-to-one tie game. Yeah, you can give up soft goals, but you've got to be able to give them up at the right times, too. If 5-1, 5-2 lead, you can give up a soft one to make it 5-3. But if it's a 1-1, 2-1 game, you can't give up the soft goal. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing a, a lot of games that you were in, and you may have let in three goals. But when it comes down to it, that save that the Oilers needed you to make are goalies like Mike Liu, Curtis Joseph, uh, McLean from uh, Vancouver, uh, Dominic Hossett, guys like that. And even some of the older guys, the Terry Sawchicks and the Gump Wormsleys of the old era, those guys may have let in some goals. But when it come time to that one or two points in the game, when the other team was pushing and really making your team labor in the a defensive end, that's when you need your goalie to come up big. Have it. That's where you need your goalie to steal you a game. I Part of playing goal is getting an understanding of how your team's reacting at the start of a hockey game. If they're on it that day, you might get away with not being quite as sharp. If they don't have it that day, then you have to be sharp right from the opening whistle. And a lot of it's reading your teammates, knowing how your teammates react, and figuring that part out. Yeah, exactly, because I think a lot of people can see, even people watching a game that know the game, you can tell if your team's on. You can tell from the drop of the puck in the first couple minutes for the most part, at least how the game's going to start and what you're going to see from your team. And a, a goalie, if, if he sees, hey, these guys are playing okay, but they're not on the top of, of their game, I'm going to have to really come up with a big game. He's got to put it on his shoulders and, and under his belt and, and come up with a big game. 
it is. When I was coaching, I used to like to go out and watch warm up. Then you get a sense of where the guys are at in warm up. Sure. Some some nights they're dialed in. Some nights you know they're not dialed in, and you know your goalie's going to have to be that much better right out of the get go. Yeah, and speaking of goaltenders, uh, the, all the Blues fans are excited about the young Jordan Bennington. And I, you know, I don't know if you can speak to him personally. I, I don't know if you've seen him play in any of these games or seen him in the AHL with the San Antonio Rampage. But I want to be in a. I want to ask you a generalized question. When you were a veteran, or even as a young player coming up, what do what what is most important for a young goalie? You and I have talked about how when these guys get into the NHL. Even the AHL, you've got talent. You don't get there if you don't have talent. Uh, what separates those guys that come in that have very good talent? What do they need to do to make it in the NHL? It, it's it's very mental. It's it's very much of a mental game, isn't it, Grant? It is. It's about 80% mental. I mean, the first thing you have to do is have trust in yourself. I mean, yeah, it's going to go well sometimes, but it's the nights where it doesn't go well where you don't lose confidence. And you, have, and you have to know that it's going to happen sooner or later. Nobody gets to go through their career without having a bad night. It's just don't let that bad night get into your head. It, and it's hard to do. And the natural thought, if you have a bad night, is you want to pick it apart, figure it out. My golden rule is uh, you can be upset about it till you go to sleep. When you get up in the morning, it's a new day. It's a fresh day. You can't do anything about the other game. So move on. Yeah. And it kind of goes against human instinct. <laughs> Yeah, because because people like to when they especially I don't know myself and I'm sure you do when you've had a bad day regardless of what you do for a living you want to think about it and it kind of dwells with you and that's just natural for you to do so it must be very hard when you lose a game four to nothing and you've only given up twenty five shots and you let in four goals and you've got a game two days later that's got to be hard to get prepared for that game. Uh, once you get used to just letting it go. And part of that's on the goalie coach. You have to help him let it go, where you focus on the good things he did and keep a positive mindset. I mean, yeah, you can go over the stuff, but you got you like to go over it early in the morning quick, and then once practice starts, it's a new day, and everything starts fresh, and you gear for the next game. But it's it's a learned process where you just learn to let it go and move on with the good side of things. Yeah, and I, I think you'll see, and I I, I think that, Jake Allen has that issue with the blues. I think he's got, he's got the tools because you don't play some games really great and just look like a world beater. And then the next game you're flopping all over the ice. You're out of control. You're not taking the same angles to a puck that you would the game before. And you just look very undisciplined. I I think that's gotta be what it is. He's just some days not mentally strong. I think what you see with goalies when they're struggling is they back up closer to the net. Exactly. Instead of being aggressive and staying aggressive, your first instinct is to get closer to the net. Well, you get closer to the net, you open up more holes. If anything, you try and be a little bit more aggressive so that, yeah, you have to fight a little bit. On the off days, you're going to get hit with some pucks because you're out far enough where you're a bigger body. But the guys have a tendency to make themselves look small when they're struggling. Yeah. Where you get in the net, you want to stay tight to your body instead of playing out and playing bigger. And once you lose confidence, you start to chase the puck a little. And as a goalie, you can't chase the puck. The puck has to come to you. So, at one, And once you chase it, you look bad. That's exactly right. And you can definitely tell when Jake Allen is chasing the puck. He's all over his crease. His angles aren't good at all. 
he looks jittery. That's the best way I can describe it. He looks jittery. As a goalie, if you look con- even if you're having a bad night, you look confident with what you're doing, your team feeds off of that. If you look like you're having a tough night and you're really working hard at it and you look uncomfortable, then your team's uncomfortable because then they're worried about giving up shots. So it's kind of your your body language as to how things are going, as to how your team reads you also. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that, that you, a goalie can read off his team and a team definitely reads off his goalie. Oh, no, your body language as a goalie, your team looks at that right away. I mean, you look at the first goal, you give up. If you treat it like it's not a big deal, then your team's still comfortable mm-hmm. with it. If you make it look like it's the end of the world, then your team's concerned about it. So you're you're there to give your team confidence. Yeah, and and, and a concerned team on the ice is not a team that's going to win a game. No, because you change your style of play. All of a sudden, you're trying to play more defensive. If you're an offensive team and that's your forte, you want to be able to freewheel and play. You don't want to have to worry about giving up shots on net. Exactly. Uh, Speaking more of the Blues, you know, you get to this time of the year. It's getting close to the trading deadline. Your team's not playing like they thought they would be playing with – recent moves of bringing in Perron, Bozak, and Ryan O'Reilly, which is he's just turned out phenomenal, the best player on the Blues right now. There's talk of the Blues trading Tarasenko, Shin, and even Petrangelo. What's that like being in the locker room when you know some guys are going to be going? You've seen it throughout your career. You know the hammer's going to fall sometime. And these are guys that you've played with for years that you've got relationships with. What is that like for someone with your experience to see guys go like that? Well, it's, unfortunately, that's the business of hockey, and you know it happens. So you have to worry about what you do best on the ice and perform for yourself. And I think if each player looks deep inside themselves and they play to the best of their ability, good things will happen. You don't have to worry about what's going on at the trade deadline. When you start looking around and looking to see what other guys are doing and such, you've lost focus on what you're doing bad things start to happen and it just trickles down to the rest of the team doesn't it it does it could it could actually get really cancerous where now everybody's looking around nobody's playing everybody's watching and you want to be the team that establishes the pace of play you want to establish the type of game it is instead of looking around to see what your other guys are doing if you're standing around you're going to get beat yeah i've always i've always told people and uh, i've always told people that hockey is proactive you know, a, a lot of people say, oh, they didn't react properly on that. Well, maybe it wouldn't have happened if the team would have been proactive and not be reactive. When you're reactive in a game, you're always a step behind. You're trying to catch up. It is. And from a goalie's perspective, if you have to think about something, you're late. I mean, it's it, the whole sport as a general is read and react. Mm-hmm. So if you have to take that extra second to react, now you're a step behind somebody. So you you have to know in certain situations what's going to happen. Exactly. Uh, getting to the Edmonton Oilers, your old team, they frustrate me at times, Grant. I, I've watched a lot of their games this year, probably about 20 of them. They've got so much talent, at least I think they do, and a lot of young players, Saddle, Nugent Hopkins, and, of course, Connor McDavid. They've got some complimentary guys like Ty Ratty who can put in you know a few goals here and there. It seems like the goalie situation has been fixed a little bit. I think this team needs a legitimate winger for McDavid, somebody like a Tarasenko. And I know that the Edmonton Oilers fans would love to have him, but he needs somebody legitimate, another guy who can put in 30, 40, maybe even 50 goals who's got that talent. 
to put the team to the next level. And not only do they need that, I think their defense, Grant, needs to get much better. I think when they're healthy, their defense is good. I mean, when they get a couple of injuries, when Clefbaum's oh, yeah. hurt, when Russell's hurt, they're they're not deep enough to cover for that yet. But I think what they really need is some secondary scoring. I mean, they're relying on pretty much four guys to do all their scoring, and it's tough to win at the National Hockey League at that level when only four guys are scoring. But they're they're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team, where one night they look fabulous, the next night they look awful. Yeah. So I think they're still searching for a little bit of their identity. Yeah, and I I, I think if a coach is going to bring that out of him, I think it's going to be Coach Hitchcock. I think he's very good with players. Uh, he's gotten Connor McDavid to play not a, a full defensive style. You can still watch Connor on, on the defensive side where he's kind of just skating around. But I think he's gotten better in his defensive game, and it's not hurt his offense at all. No, when you think about offense, it starts from the defensive sure side because you have to have control sure. of the puck. So if you're coming back into your own end and doing that sort of thing, then that's where the offense starts. So once you understand and realize that, then offensively skilled players are more likely to be a little more committed to defense. Yeah, I, I definitely do think they're a team, if they really find their identity and they really buy into what, what Coach Hitchcock is trying to get them to do game in and game out and not just in a situational manner, they could be a team that could surprise some people in the playoffs. Well, they definitely could. I mean, Hitch is a great coach. He understands the game. He understands what makes players tick. And he'll get them all turned in the right way. It's just about the players have to believe in themselves. I mean, you can be guided in the right direction, but the players have to also be in that right direction. Looking at another one of your former teams, the Toronto Maple Leafs, a lot of people are putting the Blues defenseman Petrangelo there in Toronto. And Toronto's got a lot of young guys at the Marlies that they can trade to get a good defenseman such as Petrangelo. Do you see Toronto making a move for that kind of a guy to to bring a guy in that's got some decent offensive skill but is a very good defender? I do. I mean, I think they're probably short a defenseman or two, and they realize that. And by them realizing that, then you know they're going to go out and try and shore that up because it looks like they may have a team that has a chance to win this year. So you know they're going to do anything they can to win. And and you know what? One thing is for sure, Tavares has been as advertised. He has really, really played, I think, even better than people thought he would be, and that's really saying a lot. No, he's been fabulous there. I mean, he's done everything that was advertised, maybe a little bit more. He's been a great leader. He's contributed offensively. The leadership side of it's been fabulous. So you couldn't ask for more out of a guy. And, you know, I, I want to get back to the Flames. One thing I forgot to talk to you about the Flames is uh, Smith in goal. I, I think he has kind of settled the team down a little bit, being that veteran type of goaltender. They tried to bring some other guys in, such as Brian Elliott in the past, and I don't think at that time they had a good enough defense and a good enough team to really let a goaltender such as Mike Smith really flourish in their in their in on their team. I think he's been very good for them as a veteran. He has been good, and Riddich has been really good, which is push Mike Smith to yep. be good. And I think on a on a good hockey team, you have two good goalies because one will push the other to be better. So it's kind of a coach's dream as a goalie coach is you have two good guys. You don't have to push them. 
they push each other just by how well they play. Yeah, because it's it's natural when a guy comes in, even though he's your teammate, such as guys you played with like Andy Moog and, and John Casey and other guys like that, you like the guy. You want him to succeed, but dang it, you want to get in that you want to be in that crease too. You want to get the starts. You don't want him to get all the starts. You want to be there too. No, you want to be the better guy. So you push yourself to be better in practice, which makes you better in games. And that's the fun of it. It's the fun of competition, but it's also the fun of friendship. Yeah, your friends, your teammates, that sort of thing, but you also want to push each other. So that's the fun part of it. I mean, I was always lucky having Andy and Billy around and when I went to Toronto, I had Felix Botman there. Buffalo, I had Dominic Hasek. When I went to LA, I had Kelly Rudy, Johnny Casey in St. Louis. So I always had good guys with me, and that's what forced me to be better. Yeah, you, you, you want that competition. You want to be able to get along with your teammate, you, you know, your, your other netminder. But not only do you want him to succeed, but dang it, you want to get in there and you want to succeed, and you want to say, hey, I, I can play this game too. <laughs> Yeah, well, you look at it as your partners. If you push him, if you push him and help him to get better, it forces you to be better. So, I mean, when I started, there were no goalie coaches. No, there weren't. So you had your teammate, to, you had your teammate to lean on, and you figured it out between the two of you. It's 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 just like guys being on a line together. You you want a guy on that line to be able to push the other guys, and 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 in all actuality, you want all of them to be able to push each other to be their best. Yeah, and that's what great leaders do. They make the people around them better. I mean, we were lucky in Edmonton with Gretz and Mess. They forced everybody around them to be better. Yeah, what's great about Gretzky and, and Messier, they were two different type of leaders, weren't they? They were. Mess was our vocal leader. Gretz just led by example. But when you were around them, you had to be better. In practice, you had to be better. In games, you had to be better. So it made us all better players. Yeah, you you want your leaders on your team, such as a Gretzky, such as a Messier, such as a Lemieux, such as a Yager, such as a Crosby. You want those guys not only leading when it comes to point-wise, or you, you want them to be able to lead by example and to push the other guys and say, hey, we've got to do this. We've got to get behind each other. We've all got this common goal. Put our egos out of the way, and let's get to winning. Yeah, and that's where we were good in St. Louis. We had Al McInnes, we had Prongs, Brett Hall, Pierre Turgeron at that time. So our good players were good leaders. And that's what made us a good team. There's a big debate going along here in St. Louis, and a lot of people get this feeling, and I just kind of laugh, Grant, when they tell me this. People talk about who should be the next number retired in St. Louis. Now, some players think it's a big deal to get their number retired. Other players think it's just okay. You know, that's a neat thing, but it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's about winning. It's about being the best player you can be about putting your team in the best position to win a Stanley cup. Those other awards are great, but a lot of people in St. Louis and it, it baffles me, Grant, do not think that Chris Pronger was a top defenseman in this league of all time. He is one of the best defensemen I have seen in my lifetime. And I've watched a lot of guys even past when you played in the 60s and 70s and some even in the 50s. He was a big body. He was intimidating. And he was one of the few defensemen who could actually take over a game. Oh, no. Very skilled. I mean, out of all the defensemen I played with, I'd put him in my top five guys. He's that good. And if you look at the years that we had good teams in St. Louis, our two mainstays were Al and Chris Pronger. 
and they chewed up a lot of minutes. A lot of nights they played 30 minutes. Yep. They were, they were that good. You don't play 30 minutes if you're not good. No, no. It, it, it's, uh, it's like people that I go, man, he played 19 minutes. And I'll go, well, that's pretty good in today's game, 19, 20 minutes. But I remember Al McKinnis, like you said, playing 28, 30 minutes. But, and then you've seen Pronger put in 28 to 30 minutes. That's why the Blues were so successful then. They had a deep defensive core, but their two top guys took up a ton of minutes. They did, and we had the guys that could support them. I mean, if you look at playoff time, some of their numbers were 34, 35 minutes a game. When, especially the years we played Detroit in the playoffs. 35, 35 minutes a night against Detroit's hard minutes. And they were able to do it night after night. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people will tell me, ah, it's not hard playing hockey, and I kind of laugh at them. Oh, those guys only play the 35 to 50 second shifts. How hard can that be? And I just kind of <laughs> snicker and go, well, how about I put you out on skates, just skating around as fast as you can, moving and doing nothing else for 40 seconds and do it for, oh, about 25 minutes over a 60 minute period. And let's see how, uh, how you feel after that. <laughs> oh yeah. Man, I coached some kids for a little while and they all thought it wasn't that hard either. Well, you have to skate hard for 40, 45 seconds, and you do it six or seven times, which would equal about a period. All of a sudden, it's not that much fun anymore. It's actually hard work. Yeah, you're actually going back to the bench, and you're you're, you're kind of puffing a little bit if you're actually out there putting effort in. Oh, yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you throw a little bit of body contact in there. <laughs> the game becomes very hard very quickly. Sure it does. Speaking of how hard the game is, the Capitals finally got their Stanley Cup championship last year, and the guys really enjoyed it. I can't remember a, a, a time when one player had the cup more, and you've seen more pictures of him. And that's, of course, because of social media nowadays. But Ovechkin, man, he had such a good time winning that cup. And that's so nice to see for a guy like him. He's a great ambassador for the game. I don't think I've, and I don't think I've ever seen him take a game off, Grant. He's always trying his best to get a goal, to put his team in a position to win. He's a hard worker and he deserved that championship, but it's going to be even hard for them to come back and repeat. Oh, it is. I mean, I don't think he realizes that just yet. It's hard to win the first one. It's harder to win the second one because now every game you play is like a playoff game because everybody wants to beat the Stanley cup champions. So you don't get any off days. You get every team's best game. It makes for a hard year and you're tired come playoff time. So it's, it's actually harder to repeat than it is to win your first one. And then you get into the playoffs and you've got teams that are playing at their best at that time of the year. The good teams are, they go into the playoffs playing their best, winning eight out of their last 10, seven out of their last 10. They've got everything, you know, working great. And before you know it, Grant, you're in the second round of the playoffs. You had to play seven games in the first one to get out of it. And you're in your sixth game up three to two. You're pretty damn tired. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of that starts about mid-March because everybody's game gets better and better and better. Usually late February into early mid-March, everybody ramps their game up because they're gearing for the playoffs. So now you're playing against teams that are battling to get into playoff spots, so they're going to play hard. Then you you turn out to the teams that are going to miss the playoffs while they're all battling for jobs, so they play that much harder. So every game gets harder and harder as you go later into the season while now you've got the little injuries, the nagging things that you you can play through, but they get worse because you're getting banged into every game. And that's the hard part. 
Yeah, those those injuries and those bumps and bruises really start to show up during playoff time, don't they? They do. I mean, the later the season goes, the more of a push that you're making, the harder the game gets because now you've got to finish every hit. You can't turn away. You can't take a shift off here or there where during the year guys do that once in a while. They'll take the odd shift off if they're a little sore or whatever. Well, playoffs, you can't do that. It could actually be the difference in a game. So it's a hard – playoffs is a hard game. The very, very hard game. People don't understand how intense it is, and most teams turn it up a notch. People, Some people don't understand it. You know, Some people say, man, the team kind of coasted. They got into the playoffs, but wow, they look great in that first series. Well, teams turn it up because it's nothing against the guys. They weren't being lazy during the season. It's just now playoff time, dang it, and it's time for us to really give that extra effort. We've got a good team. We've got a chance to contend for the Cup. Now let's just go and do it. Yep, you got to win 16 games. So now you're going to give everything you have left to win those 16 games. And you literally run your body out of gas. And that's half the fun of it, actually. That's every kid's goal. In Canada, the U.S., Switzerland, Russia, wherever you play hockey, most kids, when they practice that on the ice or when they're out there with their buddies playing pond hockey, they talk about their favorite player being in the Stanley Cup, Game 7, and they score that overtime goal. Or if you're a goaltender, it's game seven. You're going up against Wayne Gretzky or Gordie Howe. He's got a breakaway with 30 seconds left, and you make that save. That is everybody's goal as a youngster is not just to make the NHL, but to win that Stanley Cup. It is. I mean, as a kid, it's a great dream. To actually have it happen is even better. Oh, I would imagine. So that that must just be that must be mind-blowing, Grant, to grow up like you did in the small town up there and – Next thing you know it, you're standing in the crease and you're in your first Stanley Cup. And then the next thing you know it, you won the Stanley Cup. That's got to be such a surreal feeling for such a small town boy like you were. It was for me because I got to do it at home. I mean, not only do you grow up dreaming about it and everything, but to actually do it at home in front of friends, family, that sort of thing made it even that much more special. The fact that we got to do it five times in seven years made it really special it just shows how good our team was that 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 stretch you know a lot of people i, I like the islanders stretch when they won the what is it four stanley cups in a row i yeah, i love they were very good they had a complete team from top to bottom potve nystrom bossy and billy smith you know grant i know you probably know him he wasn't the greatest goalie in the world you know he had a, a goals against of of over three but like you said when it come time to it when the Islanders in the playoffs needed somebody to make that save, Billy Smith made the save. What growing up watching the Islanders, he was the best money goalie. Sure. And that, that was his reputation. If you needed a save at a certain time in the playoffs, he'd make that save for you. And that's what you model yourself after. You find the best money goalie, watch what he does, see how he thinks, and you try and pick the good parts out of it. I could never be as grumpy as Smitty, but <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard stories that he's a pretty grumpy guy. <laughs> Away from the game, he's a great guy. I mean, we're good friends, but on the ice, he played with a little different edge than most. But it was fun to watch. It was fun to compete against him. But, but that, and that's what made it fun. Speaking of Ovechkin, we've got a lot of talk now since uh, he's getting a little bit older. People saying, "How long can he play? Five more years? Six more years? Can they be a productive six more years?" Uh, it caught up to Gordie Howe, even though it was in his late 40s, early 50s. It took a little bit longer. But uh, it catches up to you, and everybody's 
got an opinion on it. I wanted to get yours on it. People are saying that he's got a chance to surpass Gretzky, and I think he has a chance. But, Grant, you and I both know, like I said, you get older, your body starts to slow down, and he's not the type of guy that shies away from physical contact. So he's had his bumps and bruises. He's had a few injuries in his career. Can he pass Gretzky or at least get close to him uh, if if he plays five, six more years? I think he can get close. I don't know if he'll pass Gretz. And a lot of it's going to depend on his health. And I think that's the other thing is to play 18, 19 years and stay healthy all the way through is hard. And now you've got to see what kind of team they're going to have. You're going to sure. have a good team for four or five years, but then what do you have after that? Mm-hmm. And that'll dictate a lot of the success he has in the later years. Is Do they have a good team or do they go back to being an average team? And what's around them talent-wise? Sure. I mean, you, you can be a great scorer, but you've got to have guys around you, Grant, that can get you the puck. <laughs> yeah, and that's four years from now, you don't know what Washington's going to have, and that's mm-hmm. going to dictate a lot of whether he scores or not. Yeah, speaking of one of the greatest players of all time, you played with him, Brett Hall, and I love Brett Hall. A lot of people don't like his fire, his fieriness and his, his honesty uh, with the media <laughs> and his honesty with fans, but you got to love the guy. And I am a big ambassador of him. People will talk about Crosby being great, and I love Sidney Crosby. And people talk about other great players, you know. But some things people don't realize, Grant, Brett Hall is fourth all-time on the list of goals scored. He played over he played under. He played less than he played in less games than Gordie Howe and Yager, who are past him, by almost 450 to 480 games. That's a lot. This guy, if he could have played, if it wasn't for the the if it wasn't for the lockout season, and Brad Hall played four or five more years and even scored 20, 25 goals a year, he would probably be number two, at least number three on that all-time list. That's how good Brett Hall was. Oh, no, people don't understand. He's the best natural goal scorer I ever saw. Thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> one, he was a fun guy to play with. I mean, I, he's one of the, my favorite teammates to play with because he is so honest. He just tells it like it is. There's no sugarcoating it. There's no watering it down. It just is what it is. And that was fun to play with. But at the same time, you knew he could score from anywhere at any time. And he got a little bit of a late start, too, coming out of college. Sure he did. I mean, I mean, you think a lot of guys start at 17, 18, 19 years mm-hmm. old. Holly, Holly was a little bit older. So he got a little bit of a late start and still ended up where he is. But it just tells you how good a goal scorer he was. Sure. And you know, people will tell me, you know, those 85 goals he scored or 84, whichever it was, he couldn't do that in today's NHL. It would be more like Sidney Crosby's 35, 38. And I try to tell him, Grant, I'm not trying to diss Sidney Crosby. I'm not trying today's to diss NHL, He might have had 90. Yeah. In today's NHL, when you can't touch a guy, uh, yeah, you've, you know, you can't cross check him like you used to. Brett Hall, if you watched a game and you played in, in, in front of him, you've seen how many guys would take liberties with him, cross check him, just beat him up in front of the net. And he wasn't a big guy like at 6'2 or 6'3 and 250 pounds. If I'm not mistaken, he was around 5'10", 5'11", and maybe 180. He wasn't a huge guy. No, and the biggest difference now is there's no hooking or holding. No. I mean, at that time, you could hook and hold and everything else. I mean, people that think, well, the guys back then couldn't have scored as much. If you look at our team from Edmonton, we scored 440-some goals the one year with all the hooking and holding. 
Now turn all those guys loose with no hooking and holding. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know the argument I get, Grant, is but to, but the guys today are so much faster and so much bigger. I will admit, when I first started playing hockey and watching hockey when I was about six years old, if you were six foot and one eighty, you were big. A lot of guys were five seven to five ten, you know, especially goalies. I mean, you've seen it when you started playing. I don't, I can't remember any tall goalies. Maybe Barrasso was six one six two, but there wasn't a lot of bigger guys. But the guys may seem to be faster today, and that overall, Grant, there may be more speed in the league, but there were a lot of fast guys in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Well, there were a lot of great skaters back in the, especially in the 80s. And you have to think the training's different. So if those guys train the same as the guys train now, oh, they'd geez. all be faster. You take the composite sticks, guys would all shoot better. So I look at it that way, that if you took what's, the modern training, modern equipment and technology. I think our guys would have scored more. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing an interview, I think it was on NHL Network, where they interviewed Mess, and I think it was Lemieux, and they asked both of them, how do you think you would do in today's league? And you know what? They, they didn't even have to answer Grant. They got grins on their face. And that told me oh. everything of what they actually actually thought. And, you know, they were respectful to the players today. And 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 and, and they kind of gave that politically correct answer. But you could see that spark in both of their eyes where they were thinking, man, I would love to play today. <laughs> oh, no. I, a lot of the guys in the 80s would be just fine in today's game. That's the funny part. If you, if you took the best players from the 80s and played them against the best players from today, it would be a really interesting game. It would be. I, I wish we could do that. Uh, but uh, as you and I talked earlier, uh, the old father time gets to us and we'd love to be able to do that, but uh, we just can't. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, time catches up. You know, I, I, I love some of those video games they have, and I'm not going to be on this very long, where you can take a team like the 83-84 Oilers and play them against the Penguins, you know, of a couple years ago. And it's just fun to kind of see how that computer simulation kind of plays out, how those teams would do. And a lot of times those teams from the eighties do very well, or they win that game. And that's half the fun of computers and stuff. Now is you at least have an idea. Sure. <laughs> and that's the good part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about speaking of the seventies and eighties and some throwback hockey, a lot of talk this year about Tom Wilson and some of the hits that he puts on, whether they're illegal, legal, whether, you know, he should be suspended from the game permanently, whether his 20 game suspension, I believe it was for that preseason hit against Oscar Sundquist. People say he's a dirty player. People say he's a hard nosed player. And the way I look at this is Grant, there's, there's two lines of thought here. When you take a guy out, you do want to hit him. You want to hit him hard and you want to make a statement. But in the Oscar Sundquist incident, I don't know if you've seen this. Sundquist was around the blue line had his head down. And Grant, what does every coach tell you? Even if you're a goalie, you hear this from coaches telling, telling forwards. Oh no, you got to play with your head up. You have to play with your head up. If you play with your head down, you're going to get exposed and somebody's going to destroy you. So I put that hit partially on Sunquist, but I also put some of it on Wilson because it looked like he intentionally went for the elbow to the head. And I don't like it when guys do that, but I think some hits are on both of the guys. Well, Wilson plays on that gray line. I mean, that's what makes him the player he is, is he plays right along that little thin gray line where it's borderline legal, borderline cheap shot, but that's what makes him effective. And partially, I 
blame the game itself because with the way the game's gone, there's no real hitting in the game. So guys are more comfortable skating through the middle with their head down. In the 80s, you'd have never sure. skated through the middle with your head down. You got killed. So part of it's the transition to the game, and I blame that. Guys aren't used to having somebody step up and hit them in the middle or they're making a fancy pass with their head down because they're, they don't expect to get hit. In the 80s, you expected somebody to run over you if you had your head down. So part of that's the game itself that's caused that. And, you know, one thing I wish the NHL would go back to, I wish they would get rid of the of, of the uh, of the two-line pass. I, I, I wish they would make it a two-line offsides like they used to be. I think, I, you know, some people don't like it. Some people like it. But maybe that's the reason I, you know, I grew up with hockey. I've seen guys that – can you imagine Brad Hall or Gretzky or Messier – are guys like that not having a two-line offsides, how many more goals they would have scored? Yeah, um, part of that is they want to create the speed in the game, so they took the red line out. Well, if you put the red line back in, then you'll see the game slow down a little bit because guys can't get so far out ahead of the play. And that's why the game looks like it's faster now because there's no line in the middle. So you get a, you get a bigger head start, so you look faster. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And one thing people don't think of, Grant, with the shoulder pads they have today, they're they're almost like a transformer shoulder pads. I hate to use that example, but they're so beefy. And with guys catching that much speed, Grant, with no two-line offsides, and they're catching that much speed, and then somebody does get up to them and hits them with those jumbo size elbow pads, the guy that makes the hit isn't going to get hurt. It's the guy that gets the burn of the hit that's going to get hurt. If they went back to the smaller pads, you would see less injuries because I'm going to tell you what, I was mostly goalie, but I played forward sometimes. And when you hit a guy with those small pads, it hurt. Well, you hit them properly because if you didn't hit them properly, you hurt yourself. And that's part of the transition of the game. They get bigger, better equipment. It's harder, the plastics, there's more plastic to it now. So yeah, you're not worried about hurting yourself when you hit somebody. So when a guy does take a run at someone, obviously the guy that gets hit gets the brunt of it. Where it used to be, you had to hit a guy properly, otherwise you hurt yourself. Sure, and and you know back then, like I said, there weren't a lot of huge guys. You've got two guys today, six two, six three, all over two hundred pounds, and they go in to hit each other with those big pads. It's gonna hurt. Oh yeah, some someone's got to give. It's usually the body. Yeah, it, it it's it it's it normally is the body because those pads aren't going to give. <laughs> no, the pads don't give anymore. At least back in the 80s, the pads gave a little bit. But it's funny. In the 80s, there was more hitting. There's no hitting now. But guys knew they were going to get hit, so you, you braced yourself to get hit. Whereas now, guys aren't looking to get hit, so they leave themselves in vulnerable positions. So when a guy does get a big hit, it looks 10 times worse than it is. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand those pads – in the 70s and 80s, they weren't really plastic. They looked more like leather. It was like a hard leather elbow pad or shoulder pad. It wasn't, uh, you know, military grade like the pads are today. No, it had leather sewn over the plastic. So there was a yeah. little bit of cushioning there. But you never put yourself in that vulnerable position either. Mm -mm. I mean, you learned that if no. you came through the middle with your head down, somebody's going to step up and get you. You get a guy like Scotty yeah. Stevens or somebody like that stepping up in the middle. Oh, geez. You were pretty sure you didn't have your head down. Can you imagine how many penalties Scott Stevens would have today if he hit like he did back then in today's game? Oh, it's, there'd be nobody going through the middle. 
No, no. And you know what? People would be comparing him to Tom Wilson. Yep. Yeah, and that's the funny part is a lot. Some of his hits are all right on that gray line, but that's how he plays, and that's that's what makes him effective. And the guy can score somewhat. He can actually score goals. He's got decent hands. Yeah. I mean, you look at a guy like Ryan Reeves, another great big body who can skate. If he hits you, it's going to hurt. But plays a little less of the gray line than Wilson does. Sure. But uh, there's lots of guys that play around that gray line, and that's what makes them effective. Yeah. Did you see that fight the other night that Reeves got in? I did. the Rangers? And McQuaid's a tough kid, Ooh. too. Oh, yeah, he is 6'4", 230, I think, or 240 he is. Oh, yeah, that's two big, tough kids. Yeah, once Reeves, if you watch Reeves, there's a, a method to his madness. He starts out one way and gets a guy turned exactly to where he's vulnerable, and he's going to get at least a couple good hits in. And if you're not good enough to, to counteract that and get into a position where he doesn't hit you square on, he's going to get more than a couple good hits in on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he knows what he's doing. There's no question. But that's that's what allows Vegas to play the way they do, is nobody takes sure. liberties with their best players. And I don't I don't understand why Pittsburgh got him Grant to protect Crosby, and he did it several times. There was a lot when if you watch the the games that he played with Pittsburgh, there weren't as many liberties taken against Crosby, and then they traded him. I know and, that's, and that that surprised stupid. me a little bit. Well, you look in St. Louis, we had Chaser, we had Tony Twist. Sure. Guys didn't take liberty with our best players. They gave, they gave Holly room to work. And that's the way it was in the 80s. You had guys that gave your best players opportunity to work because nobody took liberties with them. Yeah, and, you, you know, guys, uh, Chase and, and Twister, they weren't going to go after somebody if a guy played a physical game and hit a star. Now, if you went and hit a star – and it was uh, not it. It was an illegal hit, and you really went in to kill him and to hurt him and get him out of the game. You better believe Twister or Chaser would go after him. Oh yeah, and then you paid a price. But what it did is it eliminated all the cheap shots. Sure, it hey, did. Fair hits are fine. Now you see a fair mm -hmm. hit, and sometimes there's a fight. But back then, you could have a fair hit. Those guys know what a good hit is and what a good hit is, isn't. A good hit, they'd let it go. A cheap shot, you had to pay a price. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I see hits in the corner, Grant, and they'll call the guy for boarding, and it's clearly not boarding. I don't think the NHL truly knows what boarding is anymore. I don't think they know what goalie interference is anymore. I can bet they don't know that one. <laughs> no, they're, they're so – one game you watch it. Last year there was a game where Jake Allen for the Blues had a Boston player come across the crease, Grant. Actually, two Boston players. Crease. I know which one exactly yeah. you're talking about. yeah and knocked him out of the crease, and the ref come on and said that didn't hinder him from making a play. Come on. I know the exact one you're talking about. If that's not goalie interference, Grant, what is? We're still having that debate two years later. <laughs> I, I think we're going to continue to have it. Oh, there is, because there's no consistency to it. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, you know what worries me, Grant? A lot of these older refs that you've had around for a while, these guys are going to be retiring in the next four or five years. How much worse is it going to be in four or five years unless the NHL sets down with these guys and says, listen, this is the rule. This is how we we do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's not going to be interpreted a different way. This is what you have to follow. Well, unfortunately, I think it's gotten worse with the two-referee system. It has. When, it definitely when, has. When you had one guy, he had control of the game. He could feel the tempo of the game. 
they were good at reading the game and they controlled how it worked. The older guys like Andy Van Helleman, Kerry Fraser, yeah. uh, Dave Newell, guys like that. Yeah, they'd miss some calls, but they would tell you, hey, I made a mistake. My bad. Mm-hmm. Play on. Whereas the new guys are, they'll miss some calls, then they're ultra sensitive. And I don't think they've progressed as much as the game has progressed. And that's where the problem is. Sure. And, you know, you had guys like Frazier and Asselstein, and I thought they were good refs. I really thought they, they, they were mostly consistent. Now, did they make some bad calls? Yeah. Nobody's perfect, Grant, in this game. That, that's the human nature of it. But with replay, you shouldn't make a mistake. And it's still, it's still happening. And you know what I'd like to see? And a lot of people think I'm crazy, and I don't know if this matters to you. I think it would be quicker. And instead of having the replay official on that be in Toronto, have a guy at the arena to where he's right there. I think that would that would expedite the process, make it quicker, and it wouldn't delay the game as much. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I feel about it. It wouldn't be a bad idea have a replay guy in each building. I mean, I know what they're worried about. They're worried about a local guy being the replay guy. Yeah, have somebody if you if the Blues are playing Calgary. Have a guy come in from New York. If if the Kings are playing Vancouver, have a guy come in from Phoenix. I mean, it's 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 that it's not that hard to do. No, and they do it with referees. The referees, there's no home games, so it's adding one more guy to your crew. Speaking of uh, old time hockey, I wanted to get with this because a lot of I have this discussion a lot with the fans of my show. I get emails because you know. I'm in my, I'm, I'm about to turn 50. They know I played hockey. They know I watch hockey in the seventies, eighties, nineties, so on and so forth. There's a huge debate among my fans. Who is better? Lemieux, Yager or Crosby. Here's my take on it. I think they're all good players, but in all honesty, my pick, if I was to start a team with one Pittsburgh penguin, great, I would have to go with Mario Lemieux. He was a full package, could score, could be physical, a big guy, great hands. Excellent hands, but I would go. Phenomenal hands. Yeah, I would go with Lemieux. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. If you couldn't have Wayne to start a franchise and you started with Mario, yeah, it'd be. I see. I see Wayne and Mario as one A, one B. I mean, they're probably the, in in my lifetime the two best players to have played the game. Oh yeah, and it's nothing against Brett Hall. Brett Hall, you and I love Brett Hall, but if I was to start a team and had to choose a guy. They would they would be one of my like you said one A and one B and then Holly would be right there at two, you know somewhere around there. But yeah, people people today don't understand how dominating Mario Lemieux was. He was just dominating. Oh, I know. I, I'd probably take Messes, your third guy. Crosby's your fourth guy. Yep. Then then throw Holly in there. Yeah, I think you'd have a pretty uh, good team there, wouldn't you? <laughs> I I would love to have that. Your four centers would be ideal. And maybe we could put uh, Pronger. Uh, on D with Bobby Orr? How does that sound? I take Prongs and Al, throw Koff and Bobby Orr together. Wow. You could, you could play all night with four defensemen. And I don't think you'd lose too many games. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, of course, you'd have to have a second and third line that, that were decent, but I'm sure you and I could put a team together that would be pretty competitive. <laughs> I, I throw a guy like Gila Fleur in, oh, throw my. a guy like Brian Trache in, oh, like Bossy. I, I don't I – mean, uh, Yeah, you could build a pretty good squad. Yeah, you could. And I don't know if you ever – did you get to see Gordie Howe play? I, as a kid, I got to see him. Yeah. But never got a chance to play against him. Yeah, I, I got to see him in the 70s. And even at his age, 
he was still one of the best players on the ice. He was still very good, and that's why he played that long. It wasn't for money. Guys didn't play for money back then. No, you played for the love of the game. He loved the game. I mean, and and I think most NHLers do today love the game. Uh, if you if you if you grew up in Canada, if you know people from Canada, if you spend time in Canada, you know how much people love the game. And people in the U.S. don't get it. People say, "Well, we love baseball." Yeah, that's great, but people don't love people don't understand how much love people in Canada have for the game. It is it is it. It's. It's talked about when you're at the bar. It's talked about when you're eating dinner with your kids. It's talked about when you're picking up your prescriptions. Oh no, it's a part. It's a part of life in Canada. It is. It, it's your life. They. It, it, it's about a step ahead of religion. Yeah, I mean, I didn't start skating until I was six, and if I started skating at six, I'd be considered a late bloomer up in Canada. Yeah, I started at four. <laughs> That's great. That's it's 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 such a. I always tell people, go to Canada one time and see a game. I don't care which arena it's in, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Toronto. Uh, go to any team there, Montreal, and watch a game. And just, just see it once, and you'll understand it. Just That's all you got to do is see it once. Watch it. Just talk to the people. It's yeah. a whole different element. Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've, been, I've, I've been to Calgary when it was a Saddle Dome. Uh, I was at the old Toronto Arena. Uh, I haven't been to Ottawa. I've been to Montreal. I've been to Vancouver and the love of the game. Uh, it's just, it's just great. You don't, I'll go to blues games, Grant, and I see people reading books and on their tablets, playing games out of all the places I went to in Canada. I have never seen that. That doesn't happen very often in Canada, <laughs> but I guess St. Louis has pretty good fans. I mean, out, out of all the teams in the States, St. Louis has a love for hockey. And that's even with the other major sports there. Oh, oh yeah. And, and you know, I wish the media here would give it more attention. And I understand why they give the Cardinals more attention. They're a much more storied franchise. That's winning. Yeah. It's winning. If you win, guess what? You get more attention. Oh, yeah. I can remember I got blue season tickets starting about 2004. And guess when they first stopped making the playoffs? 2005. Yeah. yeah that was the year that they signed Billy Guerin. And you remember Billy Guerin. Uh, yeah. he, he was their big off-season guy, and he was, a, he was a good player for the Blues. He was towards his end of his career, but he was a good player, but that was the first year they didn't make the playoffs. And you still seen, oh, 13,000 people there, and that's not great. But when you've got a team that's really bad and out of the playoffs and you're still drawing 13,000, 14,000, that's not that bad, really. And w- it, w- You've got some diehards. Yeah, and all the Blues have to do in this town is show up and play. If they show up and play and give effort, even if they lose – this town loves them. I agree. I, I actually got to witness that. As long as you give a hundred percent, that's all they care. That's exactly right. And that's, that's, but I if, think if they think you're dogging it, they care about that too. Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues fans have this year with the team is some nights grant. It just doesn't look like they're there. You can tell when a team is into the game, like you said, from the start of the game, right. even fans, fans aren't stupid. No fans they are not that. stupid. They, they see the effort. They see a guy going into the boards, and instead of giving a guy a hit, kind of backs off a little bit and slows down. You find a way to just kind of miss him and turn around, yeah. just kind of turn away. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's frustrating to most fans here in St. Louis, and it's it's frustrating to me as a member of of I guess you could call me media uh, to to see that happen because I'm not just a, a guy that has a podcast; I'm a fan too. Just like you're not just a guy that played the game; you love the game of hockey. 
well, I still love the game of hockey. And that's the biggest difference between the States and Canada. In Canada, if they think you're dogging it, guess what? They're going to call you out in the grocery store, wherever you are, and tell you <laughs> you're dogging it. Yeah, that, that's... Ex- you get away with it. You get away from it a little bit more. At home, you don't get away from it. Yeah. You're on the clock 24-7. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've heard player stories from when they go to McDonald's, when they go to Tim Hortons. People will stop them and tell them, hey, you know, you should have done this on that play last night. You, you know, you got the wrong angle on that shot. What were you thinking? <laughs> no, no, fans are invested in Canada. They're all... They, they count themselves in as part of the team. Yeah, it was a fun atmosphere when I was up there. The Flames fans, and I wish the Blues fans would do this. The Flames fans, almost all of them, Grant, wear Flames jerseys. I've tried to get people to do that here in St. Louis, and the most I can get people to do that, you'll see maybe out of the 19,000 people there, maybe 8,000 are wearing jerseys. The rest of them are wearing suits. And, hey, that that's fine. But if you go to Canada and you go to a rink, almost everybody, oh, Grant. Playoff time. Yeah, especially playoff time especially is wearing playoff jerseys. Time, everybody buys in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy, and I, I wish everybody in the States could go to a game in Canada just once, and I think they would come back with a deeper appreciation for the people in Canada and for the game itself. Yeah, well, Vegas did a good job of buying into it last year. Oh, they Their did. Their fans were good. Yeah. I, I was really impressed with what they've got going on there. Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, Vegas and a few other teams, you and I talked about a little bit, but uh, – what are the surprise teams to you? The teams that uh, maybe aren't as good as you thought they would be. And I'm going to put the blues in there. I think a lot of people thought the blues would be much better than this. The blues, Chicago, LA are probably the three biggest disappointments. Oh yeah. In, 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 indeed. And and then you see a player like Drew Doughty, who is never afraid to speak his mind, come out and call his team out. And I wish there was a voice like that in the blues locker room that when things get bad, the guys get a little vocal and there's a leader there. That's your good veteran leadership. Yeah, and it's nothing against Alex Petrangelo. I think in some aspects he's a good captain. In other aspects, I think he's just too much of a quiet guy. It doesn't always have to be your captain, but you've got to have that veteran that will stand up and say something. I mean, a lot of times it's a role player or a character guy that's the voice of reason. At least that's what we, that's what we used to call him, a voice of reason. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I was a little upset when, when Ryan Rees uh, left the Blues, but I think he was vocal at times when he needed to be. He's not the best player in the world, but he's that energy guy. He's the guy that's going to protect your star players. And I think the Blues had that voice with him, and they had it with David Backus, and they've lost both of those guys, and yeah. they don't have that voice right now. Yeah, well, I know when I played for the Blues, we had talented guys that could speak up, and you'd have a guy like Tony Twist to make you accountable. And that's the one thing you are. You're accountable to all your teammates. All the good teams have that, where you've got that one guy in the room that makes you accountable. Sure. And, you know, a lot of people at the time it happened uh, with Mike Keenan, when he brought in all those ex-Oilers, Esatikinen, you know, McTavish, Anderson, all the people are going, God, these guys are old. You know, the, these guys need to be on crutches. They're so old. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand what he's doing. And maybe that philosophy doesn't work long-term, but keeping those guys for years, but he did it for a reason, Grant. He brought them in there, not only because they still had something left in the tank, but they knew how to win. And they were guys that knew how to be good in the locker room. Yeah. Well, it was a good group of guys and we had a team that could win. So you're supplementing talent with guys that have been there and won before. And it makes your younger guys better because being around those guys forces you to be better because 
they know how to practice, they know how to play. And it, your young guys get to see what the good habits look like. Yeah, and you know, a, a lot of people will say, "Oh, leadership, it's 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 overhyped. It doesn't matter as long as you got talent." Well, it it does matter. You can have talent and talent's going to get you so far in the playoffs. But if you don't have that leadership when you're in a game 7 and 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 it's down to the last 5 minutes and you're tied or you're down by a goal, if you don't have that leadership that's been showing up in the locker room, that's been showing up on the ice, it's not going to all of a sudden show up then, Grant. It's not going to do it. No, talent will get you so far. It might not even get you to the playoffs. You've got to have the character guys to push you over that hump. And it's not your talented guys that do the grunt work in the corners, that sort of thing. It's the guys that get no recognition, and they're the ones that push you over the edge. Exactly. And speaking of guys that uh, kind of push you over the edge, I wanted to go over some of my thoughts for the awards that are coming up at the end of the year. And I know it's a little premature, but uh, Art, the Art Ross Trophy, I think the the two guys that are going to get it's probably going to be Connor McDavid or uh, Kucherov from Tampa. Uh, which two out of those guys do you think have the best uh, line to be able to get the Art Ross? I like those two choices. I mean, you might throw Ovechkin into that mix. You can throw the two standbys. You can throw Crosby, Ovechkin, but Kucherov and McDavid will definitely be in that mix too. Yeah, and I think in the top ten, I think you've got to end a guy from your area, Johnny Gaudreau. I think if you're looking at the top ten. I think he has at least put himself there in the top 10. He's not going to win it, but I think he's had a good enough year to where he deserves to be in the talk for the top 10 for the Art Ross Trophy. You know what? He's had a great year, but again, you're out west, so the media coverage isn't as much, and that's and that'll hurt him. And, uh, the, and, and the Calder Trophy, I don't really think there's, uh, you know, some people are saying Rasmus Dahlin, but I think it, Elias Pettersson for Vancouver has just been awesome. If he stays healthy the rest of the year, I think it'll be a runaway. And what is up with Vancouver? They get Brock Besser, and now they get uh, this guy. Uh, I, I got to give it to their scouts, Grant. They've got some good scouts. They do. They've got a really young, talented team. I mean, if they happen to get one or two more players in the next couple of years, they're going to have a chance. Yeah, and uh, getting to the to the Norris Trophy, I think uh, Mark Giordano is making a big play to get that. I agree. I think he's been one of the best all year. And I and I'm hoping I'm hoping that because they get more exposure, guys like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, I'm hoping that doesn't affect it. I think it normally does, but my vote right now, if he continues to do what he's been doing, Giordano has to get it. He's in definitely in the top three mix. I mean, will there be enough media coverage? If Calgary makes the playoffs, then yes. If they don't or if they have a one and done they say playoffs doesn't matter. It still matters because that's that's your exposure time. There's a reason the awards aren't till after the season. And uh, something that I'm sure you'll be very passionate about, the Vesna Trophy. I've got either uh, Andre Fleury, Vasilevsky in there, but I also, you, you can't discount Pekka either, but I think one of those three will probably win it. Good possibility. I'm going to wait till a little later in the year because I mean, there's going to be a push down the stretch. I think Carey Price, if he stays healthy, is going to be in the mix. I think you're going to see Frederick Anderson in the mix in Toronto. If they have a good push. That's true. That's true. I've got him in my top five. So it's going to come down to a March-April push as to who wins that one. Yeah, and like you said, you always see one of the top five goalies, maybe even a couple of them, really get their game together and really show up in that last half of the season. Yeah, when the game elevates and everybody gets better, 
your top two or three goalies are going to get better and stand out. So I kind of leave that one till later in March. That is definitely fair. Getting to uh, the coach of the year, uh, I, I think who is going to end up getting it, because I think he's done a great job, is going to be Barry Trotz for the Islanders. There are a few other guys in there, but I think right now Trotz has got to be number one or two. I, I put Barry there. I'm going to put a sleeper in there. If they manage to squeeze into the playoffs, Phil Housley and Buffalo. That is true. Yeah, I, I got Phil Housley in my top five. Nobody gave Buffalo a chance at the start of the year. They made a couple trades. They got rid of Ryan O'Reilly. And, you know, the guys they got in return, I don't think were great players. I think they're role players in Sabotka, Tage Thompson, and, you know, they had the issues with Berglund. But I think what getting rid of Ryan O'Reilly has helped them do, it's given other guys more ice time that we're not getting it, and it's brought some more talent to the top. And I agree with you. Phil Housley has done a great do- job coaching that team. Well, they play as a team. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think Rasmus Dahlin on D has just done great. I, I, I will tell you this much. People don't understand, Grant. It's hard to come into the league as a goaltender and be great. But I think to be a top it's defenseman, it's harder as a D. There's a lot to learn. Especially as an 18 or 19-year-old defenseman. That makes a huge difference. Yeah, even the rest of the guys that come out, Grant, a lot of them are 21, 22 years old. And the other guy that's going to get a lot of interest is going to be Bill Peters in Calgary. That is true. He's he's done a great job. You know, like you and I discussed. They weren't expected to be this good. No, I I I expected them to compete for a playoff spot. I really did because I thought their youth with Kachuk, Gaudreau, uh, and a few other guys, I thought they would be there for the playoffs. But I didn't expect them to have, what do they have, 60 points? Yeah. They, they've got a chance to be to actually win the West. Yeah, and like you said, the reason is Grant, they're 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 very even on their defense, their offense, their goaltending, their power play, their penalty kill. They're good at all aspects of it, and that is what you need to be to go into the to the playoffs. You can't be glaring in one aspect. If you're glaring in the on the power play or on the penalty kill or in the net, it's going to show up in the playoffs. It does. The playoffs expose your weakness. That's the one thing that the playoffs do over a seven game series. Your weakness is going to get exposed. And Calgary's pretty solid all the way through. Definitely. And I I, I wouldn't be shocked and to see them in that. And that's coming from an Oiler fan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, hey, and you guys out there from the U.S., if you don't understand what that means when Grant says, when Grant gives Calgary a compliment, just go to a Calgary Oilers game and you'll see why Grant giving them a compliment as a former Oiler and a former Flame, uh, <laughs> why, he, why it's huge for what he just said. <laughs> That is a passionate rivalry, Grant. There's definitely a little passion in that one, but that's what makes it fun. Oh, it is. And, you know, people love to talk about the Blues Blackhawks, and you've seen that for yourself. But, you know, uh, for my dime, if you're talking about another great rivalry, that one is awesome. Just like the Montreal, and and I know you're a member of this, Grant, the uh, Montreal-Quebec rivalry. Oh my God. Those are some great physical, great physical games. They had guys that could score uh, Forsberg and, and, and and LaFleur was playing there at one time. They had Lindros there. Uh, It was just a Sackick. It was just a great, great team. And then Montreal Nylon, you had, you had Knuckles Nylon on there. You always knew he was going to get into something, just some great rivalries that, that I wish grant. uh, I wish when they named Seattle, as the next expansion team, which I think it's great. 
I think they're going to have some good fans there. It's going to be a good rivalry with the Canucks being so close. But I really wish these franchises hadn't got so overpriced because I think, Grant, with the exchange rate and the economy in Canada, it's going to be hard for a group to get together to purchase a team now to put in Quebec. And those fans in Quebec, Grant, they deserve an NHL team. They were great fans. I mean, I think the only reason they lost the team is there wasn't any corporate support. No, there was zero. I mean, and that was part of the problem. And the Colise was a great building, but it, with no suites, it makes it a little tough. So you'd like to see a team back there at some point. Will we ever get a chance to see a team there? If, if we do, it'll be one of the teams moving from somewhere. The one that I could see would possibly be Arizona. Arizona, maybe Florida. Yeah, the NHL tries and tries and tries to keep those warm weather teams. L.A. is a warmer city. You know, it's not the hottest city in the world like Vegas, but it can get warm. And San Jose is a nice city on the west. But I think that draw in Arizona is just too difficult. And I think they get some corporate sponsorship, but I also think that's one thing that's hurting them too. The problem with the warm weather cities, you have to win because there's so many other things. If you're not winning, they're going to go watch baseball. They're going to watch football. They're going to – guys – Tourists that come in are going to go play golf. So you have to have a winning team. That's the only, that's the only way to be successful in those markets. Hey, you're not going to see an NHL team in Palm Springs, Palm Desert, La Quinta area, Thousand Oaks, Thousand Palms. You're not going to see that because there's too much stuff to do. You can go up on the tram into the mountains. You can drive a little bit up to L.A. and see the Dodgers play, see the Kings play. You're not that far from San Diego down there in the desert. And you're really just a couple hours drive from a lot of great things to do. You're going to go swimming. You're going to go to the ocean up in Long Beach. There's just too much stuff to do to put a team in the desert in California. There is. It's actually a perfect spot to go watch hockey because I've got Anaheim, L.A., Vegas, Phoenix, all within three and a half hours. Uh, and, and do you get to do that very often? Do you get to go to other cities? I do. I do. I still wander around and try and get in my 15 or 20 games a year. Plus, I still go back to Edmonton about once a month. Yeah, and I, I, I remember that you telling me that in one of our previous conversations, and I think that's great. You know, you still go back to your hometown and or your home province there in Alberta, and I'm sure the fans, the fans recognize you probably very much when you go anywhere. I would imagine. Edmonton, they do because I grew up there, so they, they're sort of used to seeing me around town. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun to wander over to Phoenix. I've still got lots of friends there from when I coached there. I enjoy going into L.A. I've still got lots of friends there from when I played there. Anaheim, I don't really have any friends there, but I enjoy going there to watch a game. And you've got a lot of friends still here in St. Louis. I do. I enjoy coming down there. And Vegas is just a fun place to go watch a game. Yeah, it is. Uh, the T-Mobile Arena is a neat place to watch a game. It's It's a neat little area there. They put it in the right spot. And the one thing I like about the Golden Knights, uh, they know how to promote their team. You know, a lot of people who visit Vegas, they're from other NHL cities. And that, to me, that's a great place to put it. You're not only going to get your Vegas fans, but people from New York are going to go to Vegas for a trip. People from Canada, a lot of people from Canada take that trip down to Vegas, either via Denver or Salt Lake City Airport, and they go down to Vegas, spend a few days. They can go watch hockey. I, I think that was a no-brainer to put a team there. No, it made perfect sense. I mean, you've got transient fans as a base, and you've got a good local base. I mean, I think they're having issues right now because there's so many local fans. That there's people in Canada that actually bought season tickets in Vegas. They can only make a certain amount of games that were probably selling their tickets. And Vegas is trying to get those tickets back so they can resell them because they can sell them in Vegas. 
It's all about the free marketplace, Grant. <laughs> That's half the battle. Yes, it is. Well, I want to thank you for being on again. It's always great talking to you. It's always a good time. And uh, uh, one thing I did want to do is get an update on uh, how Making Cocoa has been going, how it's been received by the fans at the media. And do you have anything coming up with that? Any more premieres coming up? I know you've had a couple of them. And hopefully you can give us some news sometime soon on when it's coming to our area here in St. Louis. I know you and Adam are working on that. But uh, just give me some basic news on what's going out with that project. Well, it's still going good. I mean, it went really well in Canada. It was really well received. We're going to have a premiere down here in Palm Springs in March. Oh, great. And then and then we've got one in L.A. coming up, and we're working on heading out in your direction. Some interest from Minnesota, some interest from St. Louis. So we're headed in that direction at some point here, hopefully before playoff time. Again, I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, it's always nice talking to you. I wish you the best with making cocoa. Please, either you or Adam, keep me uh, abreast of uh, where that's going to be here in St. Louis. I would gladly go, and I know a lot of people that would gladly love to get tickets for that premiere, and hopefully some of them proceeds for the tickets for that will go to a good cause. Oh, they definitely will. I mean, that's part of the fun of it. It's the same. One, it's fun to see the movie, but two, we try and raise some money for charity at the same time. So that's half the battle. And it's great for the fans to get to be close to you and see Adam and a few of the other guys involved in the project. And uh, I think it'll be a good time no matter where you're at. I'm sure the response will be very positive. That's been fabulous so far. So hopefully it continues. Grant, thanks again until we talk next time. I hope you have a good rest of your week, a great weekend. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll talk to you later. Oh, you're welcome. We'll talk to you again soon. I want to thank everyone so much for joining me for the special episode of The Drop. It is such a pleasure to be able to interview people such as Grant Fuhr. He's not only one of the best NHL goalies to ever play the game, but he's also a great person, as I'm sure you can tell. A great ambassador for the game, a very charitable man, and everyone here in St. Louis and throughout the NHL really respects him. And with that, I'd like to make an announcement. Grant has agreed to come on the drop as a regular guest. We'll do it about every four to six weeks. The segment's going to be called A View from the Crease with Grant Fuhr. He's looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And I know you guys are. Well, we didn't have enough time to get into the Montreal Blues game, but I will do that in the next episode. Until then, stay healthy, stay happy, and of course, let's go Blues. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Drop Podcast. To get more of The Drop, check out our website at droppodcast.com. You can also find us on Google Play, iTunes, and the iHeartRadio app. You can follow us on Instagram at the.drop.podcast or on Twitter at Drop Hockey Show. You can email The Drop Podcast or host Lance DeScott at lanced at droppodcast.com. To find out more about Lineup Media, go to lineupmedia.fm. Until next time, let's go Blues! This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.